What's up, guys? This is PC, and this is your backstage pass to the Green Room Podcast Series. Hey, guys, this is PC in the Green Room Podcast Series. Our guest today is one of my absolute most favorite people on the planet and a true rock star educator in every sense of the word. He's currently the principal of New Albany High School just outside of Columbus, Ohio. He was awarded the 2013 NASSP Digital Principal of the Year Award and is a member of the Jocelyn Renaissance Hall of Fame. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dwight Carter. Dwight, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, PC. How you doing, man? I'm Thanks good. for having me on the podcast. For sure. Thanks for your time, man. I appreciate you being on here. Let's just, we're going to jump right into this thing, man. Talk a little bit about your background, like where you went to school and then how you reached this point in your educational career. All right. Well, I grew up in the city of Columbus, Ohio, born and raised, a uh, family of, uh, I have a twin brother, older sister, single mom. Um, but those are the days when the entire community, entire street raised you. So that, I think that had a lot to do with the type of educator I am today. Um, got my undergrad from Wittenberg University in Springfield, Ohio, where I majored in comprehensive social studies. Um, Got hired in Gehanna Lincoln High School, or I'm sorry, Gehanna's Public School District, right out of high school, right out of college, excuse me, um, like five days after high school, college graduation. Uh, taught middle school for three years at Middle School South, and then uh, started teaching uh, at the high school for five years. And during that time period, I was a, a track coach and assistant football coach. And then um, a guy named... Uh, Keith Bell was one of the assistant principals at the high school, and then a number, just a number of people kept talking to me about administration, and it was not anything that I ever considered. I actually, actually I called it the dark side. It's like I'll never go to the dark side of education. <laughs> um, then uh, another principal named Sherry Dunlap and then Mark White both got a hold of me, and they were just throwing me into leadership positions, and they started mentoring me before I even knew knew and recognized what they were doing. They were just asking me to do things, and I would just say, sure, absolutely. Um, then from there, I started to um, take on more of a leadership role as a staff in a staff as a staff member, and uh, participated in this really dynamic professional learning network called Critical Friends Group, and that was the catalyst that got me thinking seriously about administration. Um, so I was one of two teachers who was uh, trained as a teacher leader. And uh, as I was going through the training, I also had a, a group of teachers I was working with. So we would have four, um, basically half the day off once a month for uh, professional learning and collaboration. And the the joy that came out of seeing teachers learn and lead and have conversations about meaningful work and then see it implemented in the classroom was just rewarding. And that's like, OK, this is what administration can be about. Um so I started to, I pursued my master's, got that from Ashland University. And then at the same time, I got hired as an assistant principal at Gehanna Lincoln High School where I was a teacher. And uh, it was, the staff was very receptive of that. Um, students were accepting as well. It was just, it was a nice transition from the classroom, the track and the field to administration. And it gave me an opportunity to meet more kids. And uh, I was charged at that time to revitalize Renaissance. Because when Keith Bell was there, he had it, and it was, man, it was a well-oiled machine. Uh, he left, took over at Groveport High School, and then Renaissance became almost uh, an afterthought. And then when I became an assistant principal, 
um, Mark White knew the importance of it and just said, hey, one of your responsibilities, I want you to re revitalize Renaissance. So I spent the entire year learning, relearning what it was, um, contacting Keith Bell, tried to like, recapture the vision, made contacts with our Jostens reps um, to, to learn more about it. And that's when I actually learned about the Renaissance Conference. Gotcha. And I went, yeah, I went in 2003 the first time. And I remember this. I remember this to this day. I came back. I talked to Keith Bell. I said, one day I'm going to be on that stage as a Renaissance Hall of Famer. I remember that like it was yesterday. That is awesome, man. And then it just, and I, cause I was like enamored by the conversations and, and the stories and the network and uh, the excitement. I mean, I came back on fire after the Renaissance Conference. And because I've never experienced an education conference like that. And honestly, from there, that's sort of shaped my whole, um, uh, I guess, framework for being an administrator. That's awesome, man. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Great stuff, man. Um, in 2013, like we talked about, you were named as one of the NASSP Digital Principals of the Year. And one of the first times that I was in one of your sessions at the Jocelyn's Renaissance National Conference, one of the things that really resonated with me related to social media when you said, if you don't tell your story, someone else will. Explain yes. what you mean by that and how have you been able to use social media so effectively, especially in the world of education? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I have to uh, truly um, acknowledge Eric Shaniger for modeling the way. I mean, he is a true pioneer on principles, branding the school, um, and, and telling the story of schools that most people don't get a chance to, to see or hear or even, um, believe. So it's a bit of a long story, but I'll capture it in, in a few, few short sentences. Back in 2010, we had launched, um, a new vision at, in Gehenna to, um, innovate learning and we had an opportunity to build a new building um, to add on to our campus not necessarily build a new school but add on to our campus because we were at capacity and uh, we wanted to think how do we connect and create a, a facility that meets the needs of today's students but students from 50 50 years from now so we started looking at how is student how is student learning changing uh, how is technology changing how the brain works um, connecting us as people and how can we implement that in the classroom? And prior to that, I was not a social media fan at all. I thought it was the dumbest thing ever. Um, I felt like, why is it important for people to look, know what you're eating for breakfast or who you're having lunch with or what you're wearing? Because that's all I saw and that's all I heard about how the um, celebrities are using it. So I was very much anti-social media. Um, but I know our kids were using it and some were using it inappropriately. So I went to a, a three-day boot camp. It was myself and another um, principal. We sort of went out. We were called to go out to, to scope it out and see if it was worth the investment. It was called a Mindset Digital Boot Camp and was essentially put on by journalists from the Ohio State University. And they opened our eyes to what and how the world was using social media. And because it was catered towards us as educators, they connected with us educators who were already doing it. And the first person was Eric Scheniger. Another guy was uh, Patrick Larkin, um, and they just they sh I, I just spent three days observing what they were doing. I learned more about their school in three days than I knew about most schools in my own uh, Central Ohio area in 20 years. And so I reached out to them. I was like, guys, you know, what are you doing? How are you doing it? Started following them, set up a Twitter account, and then the rest was basically 
capturing stories that were already happening in our school, just putting them out there on social media. So it wasn't anything new. The only thing new was the marketing, the branding approach of letting other people know, here's what we're doing, here's why we're doing it. And the kids started to, to take hold of it, and they too started sharing positive stories. So the premise of that was this. Most people that drive by a school really know nothing about it other than what they experienced when they were in school. Um, and they may get a perception of the school based on a one-time dinner time conversation or you know, they may say two two kids who are making a poor decision out at the crosswalk, and they make they form their opinion about the school based on those two kids. When reality, 98% of the students, 99% of the time, are doing phenomenal things. So our so our teachers are doing the same thing. And there's some great learning that takes place behind the the walls and the doors, um, in the windows. So using social media allows us to just capture a snippet of it and tell a consistent story over and over again. And then that becomes the story, the brand, and the reality of the school. That's awesome, man. That's great stuff. It's like you said, there's unbelievable things that happen in our schools every single day. Mm-hmm. And you know, just from listening to you speak that first time, that's one of the things that I really tried to focus on is we have to tell our story. We have to tell those great things that are happening you know, and share those with the community so that they can, like you said, have an idea of what really takes place and not what the perception is of the school itself. Awesome stuff. Yeah, I learned, I learned so much about your school just, just via social media. And you can get so many ideas that way. You know, Instagram, it's Twitter, awesome. Facebook, the whole nine. Just, I, I know what you guys are doing and what you were doing and how you were doing it. And and I would share that with our Renaissance leadership team or share with the other staff members and, and just so we can see what was actually possible regardless of where we were, what our demographics were, our success or not. It's just like these things are possible because other schools are doing it as well. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, as a, so as a high school principal, one of the things that we deal with, you know, as kids advance from the elementary school level to the high school level, the amount of parent participation in schools decreases drastically. What mm-hmm. strategies have you found to be successful to increase that parental involvement in your school outside of the use of social media? Um, good question. I'll refer back to when I was at Lincoln High School because I haven't implemented yet here at New Albany. This is my third year at New Albany. I was at Lincoln for six years as a principal, three years as, as an assistant, and five years as a teacher. Um, but so, but 20 years total of my career was spent in Gahanna School, so in a number of uh, capacity or a number of uh, in number of roles. So what we did there the last few years is we created something called Community University. And that's where we reached out to parents. It's like, what do you guys want to learn about the school? What are some skills that you want to work on? What do you want to know what we're doing? Um, so I sent out a Google form, and then we had very specific, quote-unquote, classes for parents in the evenings that were taught by students or taught by staff members. And that was huge. I mean, that was a huge promoter promoter of our school because it, it gave teachers a chance to show what they were doing in front of parents, and it gave our students, more importantly, a chance to show parents what they were learning. And that was um, that's probably one of the best things we did. We also created a renaissance uh, parent renaissance uh, team. So we had that was separate from PTO. So our parents would come in once a month and we just share ideas what we're doing and they would support us, um, have their own ideas. So and they would we would bridge that gap between what the students wanted, what the staff wanted and then what the parents thought it was. And they became ambassadors for the school. So those two things alone were huge. And then um, we added a third component, which was uh, coffee with Mr. Carter or conversations with Mr. Carter. And that was uh, once a month in the morning before the students arrived on campus. We just have an open discussion about, you know, what's on your mind? What are you hearing? 
What do you want to know more about? What questions do you have? And that was highly successful as well. And uh, our PTO will help sponsor it. So we have like donuts and coffee and tea. I'm not a coffee drinker. So that's why I said conversations with Mr. Carter. Right. Um, and uh, it was, like I said, just a very informal uh, time for parents to come in and talk on their time. Uh, what we have here right now at New Albany High School is I use my, I, I still I use it more for as a social media aspect, is we have a, a, a hashtag that we use for our school called NAHS Better Together. And the Better Together is our theme. So we have teachers and students, and some parents are tagging um, their social media posts using that hashtag. And then on a weekly basis, I will capture that story and using Storify and then send that out in my weekly newsletter to parents so they can see the day-to-day occurrences that are happening in school. And uh, it's more of a curated story time, story sharing that others are a part of. That's awesome, man. That, that's yeah. great stuff. And, you know, the more you can get those parents and adult supporters involved, the better mm-hmm. chance we have of reaching some of those at-risk kids and, and keeping yeah. them on track to graduate and getting them across the state. That's great yeah. stuff. Um, talking so, about social media, okay, jumping, go, go ahead. You got something else to add? Yeah, something new that we're doing. Um, something new we're starting or going to have on Monday is uh, for the last, I think, I want to say 12, 13 years, New Albany High School has had what we call Peace Week. And Peace Week is a, is a response to the Columbine shootings back in 99 and then the Virginia Tech shooting. Um, the students at the time talked to the principal, Scott Stewart, and said, hey, we want to we respond to this in a positive way. So how can we promote peace on our campus? So they came up with an idea called Lunch on the Lawn. And that's Friday. It's basically like an all-day field day for high school kids centered around competitions, music, food, fun, and games. They added to that years ago by having – an event each day. So now we have Peace Week. So on Monday, we have a Peace Week opening ceremony that's student-led. Um, so we'll talk about the history of House and the history of Peace Week. And then we'll introduce our um, House Cup winners from last year. And the House Cup is what the students compete for all year. And think of houses like um, advisories. So we have eight advisories. Every student is in, is in an advisory or house. And the house names are um, um, come from the old schoolhouses that are in, that were in New Albany. Um, all color by uh, each one has a, a logo or a theme and different colors and whatnot. So um, they compete all year. You have games like Jeopardy, Matt Ball, um, Math Mathathon. I mean, it's just some competition for all types of kids, and it's sure. amazing. Well, on Monday we um, we have an Unchained Fashion Show, which is a fashion show that raises awareness on human trafficking. So half of the students will go to the Unchained Fashion Show. The other half will participate in what we're – first time we're doing is called a parent panel discussion on um, diversity, culture, um, acceptance, and community. So we're having a, some parents come forth and just talk about how we've addressed those issues, how we respond to them, how we can be better at them. And the, and the questions are generated by the students and is moderated by one of our seniors named Red Ingram. This is the first time we've ever done anything like that to engage parents with the students in this capacity. So cool, man. I, like yes. That is awesome stuff. It should be fun. Um, it's a little, little risky, a little scary because we've never done it before. Sure. Um, but we've had a couple issues where parents wanted to um, share their concerns but also promote and be more solution-focused. So I met with my superintendent and a very, very, very involved parent who wants to just be a part of the solution, and we just – came with the idea like let's have a parent discussion about this with our students and uh like i said we were all somewhat hesitant because we've never done it before 
But man, it's a great way to really show and wrap around like all all people within the community coming together to solve problems, but also celebrate our successes. Exactly, exactly. And, and having an adult conversation. And I, I used to tell my kids all the time, it's okay to have a different opinion than somebody else, but right. can you justify it? Like, what is your why? And then let's right. have an adult conversation and say, I understand where you're coming from, and, and here's where I'm coming from, and here's why. You know, right. and, and if you can create that dialogue, that's just so powerful, man. Yeah, so and it'll be fun. And uh, later that week, we're having um, what we call peace talks. And the peace talks are, are talks led by students and some staff members around topics that are interesting them that interest them centered around the whole theme of peace. So, cool. so it's the inner peace, um, relational peace, community peace, or even um, and one of them is just more like an academic conversation about how to how you can get your associate's degree while you're a high school student. Because one of our students is doing that now, so she wanted to share her experience. Sure. So it's, it's exciting. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's great stuff. Great stuff. Um, getting back to social media a little bit. Every school has their own policy pertaining to student use of social media. Some of them, you know, they, they can have their phones. Some of them, they can't have their phones. Right. Um, I, I think that as educators, it's something that we have to embrace it because obviously it's not going away. It's here to stay. And so talk a little bit about your policy for social media with your students and some of the challenges you faced along the way with that. Yeah, that's that's an ever-changing um, uh, framework. Because when you and we have to focus less on the apps and more so on the behavior. So our approach is we have what's called a bring your own learning technology or excuse me, bring your own learning, bring your own learning device policy. And that means students can bring their own mobile mobile technology. But it's really up to the teacher on if they use it and how they use it. Um, and so that's communicated to students. We need to reinforce it next year. Because our students have gotten comfortable thinking that it's an expectation that they should have as opposed to a, a right and a, respons a responsibility and a freedom. And I always say the more responsible you are, the more freedoms you have. And the less responsible you are, the more freedoms that are taken away from you because you haven't shown that you can handle it. So we promote the use of social media and learning devices quite a bit. And our students are getting to the point where they're self-policing them, them, each other on how to use it appropriately. And they're reporting when things are not going well. Um, like I'll get, um, we have like this program called Safe Schools Report. So if there's some bullying going on or some inappropriate messaging going on through Snapchat, mainly through Snapchat or Instagram, uh, they'll notify us and we'll just investigate it. And typically, nine times out of ten, it's all right there. It's all digital. We see it. You know, it's screenshotted and we can handle it appropriately. Sure. But we handle sure. it in terms of student behavior, not blaming the technology because the technology is useless without the hands of, an, of, an, of a person. So we focus more on the behavior that we want to create, not the technology that students are using. Because you, you know this as well as I do. It's changing at an exponential rate. So we cannot ban specific apps or devices. We just have to focus on the that what we call digital citizenship. I like to just say citizenship as a whole because it's such a ubiquitous part of our culture. Um, focusing more on the student behavior and adult behavior and less on devices, I think will get us to the point where it just a normal part of our day on using it and just using it appropriately. Um, but one of the things we're doing next year is that like during house or advisory, as I spoke about earlier, 
um, we're eliminating the use of devices during that time because that's our time to get together and, and grow as a community. So one of the biggest barriers to that happening this year is that when there wasn't a specific planned activity or if students didn't know what else to do, the first thing they would do, would, they would get out their phone and just isolate themselves from the group that's in the, in the room. So by modeling, by forcing students to not use their device during that house time, it's modeling how, how to have a conversation, how to engage in meaningful discussions, how to interact with those face-to-face, -face, and how to build community. Because um, regardless of how often we use social media, face-to-face -face is still the best way to establish community. Exactly. And those relationships. Yeah, that's a huge piece of it. Good stuff, man. Um, the overall makeup of New Albany High School is pretty affluent in terms of socioeconomic status. And the stereotype that's associated with that is that, you know, you've got privileged, rich kids. And the truth is, and I, and I worked at a very similar school when I first got into education, um, the, the truth is that we still have kids from all different types of backgrounds. Um, so talk about some of the strategies that you and your staff really have used to reach the kids that are labeled as, as being at risk. Um, we look at if we try to take a three three pronged approach, and we look at the um, student growth, student achievement, and then student well being. So that's our district overall district approach to our why. And our why again is to help students grow, help students make progress, and help students develop as social emotional um, develop social emotional strength and endurance. I, um, I referred to um, House and Peace Week earlier. So house is our foundation for still breaking down those barriers of social economic status, um, real or perceived um, stereotypes or rumors about, you know, that whole the whole status, the haves and the have-nots, um, because our houses are are based on and it's a great mix through race, diversity, ethnicity, um, race, cultural ethnicity, gender, and um, and siblings. We keep sibling groups together because we want to keep that legacy. But when new students come in, we just look at the overall layout of each house and then plan accordingly so that there's each house is very diverse. And we try to um, create houses that are very heterogeneous in how they're made up. And the students stay in their houses for all four years. And that we found that, that that's the best way to create those long-lasting relationships and um, breaking down barriers and busting through and breaking through stereotypes. So it, it's been highly successful. Uh, it's evolved over the time. Uh, we used to have house five days a week, um, but that became a bit much because having something planned every single day of the week was, was challenging. Sure. Uh, last year, we reduced it to two days a week, and that became much more meaningful. And this year, because we wanted to and had a charge to increase more instructional time, um, house is now one day a week going into next year. But everybody has house at the same time as opposed to house being split between half the school having house one time and half having the other time. Next year is every student will be in house. So there's a true, uh, I think, intentional focus on establishing that community where there's no other thing going on. Like there's, you're not competing with academics. You're not competing with lunch. You're not competing with um, clubs. Let's just, let's focus for 30 minutes on, on each other. And I think it'll be highly successful. And we also have included students and um, deciding how house should be led and some of the activities that house will be a part of. That's um, awesome. So based on, the, took a lot of information, got a lot of feedback from students and staff about um, our our schedule for next year and house and what it should look like. 
So I created a student advisory board, and those students have been instrumental in, in laying out what they would like to see happen in terms of getting students involved to leave house. And I think that's one of been one of our missing key missing ingredients is that we have a very strong, highly organized and very functional group of house deans. And they are I mean, they are exceptional. Um, but we've had a, a constant uphill battle and getting students to really own and be a part of house outside of Peace Week. And because that's Peace Week is like the last couple of weeks of the year. The house goes on all year. So our missing link was getting students truly involved and invested from, from the beginning to lead some of the activities that are relevant to what they want to talk about and what they want to do. And now we have a nice, um, some really strong ideas and a, and a, um, a proposal that was created by students on the student advisory board. And I think it's going to be very helpful next year. That's awesome, man. That student ownership, such a big piece. Of, of what you do in the school and building that school culture. One of my favorite activities that you do is the senior staff select as we get yeah. you know, ready to approach graduation here. I saw some pictures just recently on, yeah. on your timeline and stuff. Explain that to our listeners and then share a story or two of the impact that has made on yourself or on a fellow staffity member when they have received that recognition. Yeah, actually, uh, my first year here, that was presented to me by a student who was new to the high school. She was, uh, I think she moved, she moved from another state, and that's what they used to do in her former school. So she proposed it to me and um, one of our uh, house deans. Um, it was a grand idea. I talked to our senior team, and they were like, yeah, let's do it. So from there, we talked to the Board of Education and superintendent. They were in favor of it. And the senior team took it and ran with it. Um, so what it, what it entails is that um, every single graduating senior has an opportunity to invite any staff member, any faculty member, K through 12, to ask them to give them a diploma at graduation. And so it increased our staff participation in graduation by 50%. Um, and it's how it's done is that students will never be rejected by a staff member because we put out a, a basically a call to say, if you're interested and you want to, um, once you want to be eligible in the sense to, to be asked about senior staff select, then let us know and sign us, sign up. So we create a sign up for uh, all staff members. We then let students know here are all the students or here are all the staff members who are willing to participate. Um, we gather all the seniors on our library steps and just say, you know, today is the day. You know, here's the ask. Here's how you can make the ask. And we kind of model it and joke about it and whatnot. Um, this year, most of the seniors have on had on their caps and gowns. And I was on, I think, the 28th of April. So a nice little speech, get them up pumped and ready to go. And then. All of a sudden, all the seniors, they, they just leave and uh, approach the entire campus, K through 12, and gently and politely bust in the classroom. And some will get on the knees, some will present flowers, some a cake, some a poem, some speech or whatnot. And in front of the students or in front of the, um, the workstation or wherever the, the people are, um, they will say, you know, they'll give a little message about why they're being, why that person's being chosen. They say a little thank you, and then they say, "I'll be honored if you would accept this invitation to hand me my diploma at graduation." And it is, man, it's amazing. It's one of the best days of the school year. And we have uh, kindergarten teachers, first grade teachers um, receiving um, requests to get their diplomas. Um, we have secretaries, our school resource officer. Um, I received three requests from students who I, I wasn't expecting. One told me in advance, but the other two I wasn't expecting. So that was very uh, that, that was very special. 
Um, and teachers, some teachers receive a number of requests. And it just goes back to show the, the power of that relationship they've had with students over a number of years. And then during graduation, uh, the students are organized by the alphabet of the staff member who's handing them their diploma. So we put out a link to our, our uh, graduation audience to say, if you want to see the actual list, just click on this link and they can see see that list because it's different from that in the program. The program is done alphabetically, just out of ease and, and efficiency. But then um, then students are named, announced by the staff member who's giving them their diploma. We haven't had one complaint about it yet, and it gets better and better every single year. So it's it's fun. So for the listeners, if you want to see what that looks like, um, you can go to Twitter or Instagram and look up the hashtag NASSS17. Uh, and that's for New Albany students, uh, student staff select 17. So cool. I, and I can't even imagine. I, I know there's a lot of tears that have to flow that day. And, oh, and it's a very emotional day. You, you should see it at graduation. I mean, it's... It's an amazing experience. Um, usually the staff members crying when the student is walking across the stage. And it's just a highly powerful and emotional day. And it's no other way, no greater way for a student to say thank you for what you've done for me through my, my, my school experience. And we, we decided to make it a K-12 experience because our belief is that graduation is not about the senior year. Graduation is about the student's full experience at the school. Sure. Sure, yeah. I agree, hundred percent. It's so, so awesome. It's been it's been highly successful. Parents uh, can't say enough about it at all. Like I said, I haven't seen received one complaint about the order or whatnot. They they really think it's a special a special event. It's awesome. So cool, man. Um, you co-authored a book called "What's in Your Space: Geared Towards School and Classroom Design." Talk a little bit about that process and what readers can expect when they pick up a copy. All right. Uh, what's in this, what's in your space was uh, basically the, our Clark Hall story. We I told you earlier we um, had an opportunity, which is rare in in a career, to build a building from ground up. And it wasn't a new high school; it was an, an addition to the high school. And we wanted to focus on how do students learn today? Um, what is the mindset that has to go into educating students today, and the mindset that students have about school? And so it's less on content; it's more on culture and more on the environment that's created for the culture to exist that is more um, open, risk-taking, free, um, incorporating student voice and choice, which is very important in today's society, and focusing on the global skills that students need to be successful, regardless of content. So it's... um, and the, the, the title is more of a play on words. So it's not just what's in your space in terms of your physical environment. It's what's in, the, what's in your space between your ears. Because if the mindset doesn't change, a new building won't make any difference at all. So we focus on, again, how students learn. And, who are, and then we define them as Generation Z. Uh, what skills the students need to learn to be successful. Um, how, do you, how to incorporate technology in your classroom. How to give students more voice and choice, but also and also how to develop a collaborative mindset to work with students to be the facilitator as opposed to the, the, the possessor of all knowledge. That's awesome. So, uh, each chapter is uh, concludes with a number of uh, reflective questions and re- reflective activities, so that it's more it's less about the philosophy, it's more about the application. Very and cool. uh, we also highlight several educators who have done the things that we're talking about in the book and use them, use them as models and examples because it shows that 
you don't have to have a huge budget. You don't have to have any budget at all. You just have a different mindset about how you want to create the environment where students are developing the skills that you believe are important in your district. It's awesome stuff, man. And so how can people get the book? Uh, if you go to Corwin.com, um, search what's in your space, you can order the book there. You can also uh, order the book on Amazon. Again, what's in your space, five steps to better school and classroom design. Um, you can also look for uh, Arthur, co-author Mark White. He's on Twitter at MarkWhite55. He's a phenomenal educator, exceptional writer. Uh, he's been a mentor to me for, man, most of my career. And um, we become really, really good friends. So you can also follow him on Twitter. Uh, the other author, co-author is Gary Seabach. Gary was our architect and designer. Uh, you can follow him or get uh, connect with him on LinkedIn. And so, and you can also follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn, um, and you can get a link to the, the book there as well. Awesome. Awesome, yeah. man. Um, so looking back and reflecting on your career and the, and the legacy that you're going to leave in education, what's the best advice that you would give to a first-year educator? And then what about a first-year administrator? Uh, advice is the same. Um, stay true to yourself. Be open to growing, but ultimately do what's best for kids. Um, and I was able to, um, I think I've been able to grow as an educator and have a number of opportunities because I've constantly focused on doing what's best for kids. And I, like I said, I never had, um, it was weird. I never thought I would be where I am today as an educator at all. Um, my, my desire starting out was to teach social studies for 30 years and be a head track coach and then just right off in the sunset. Um, but to um, but to be open to like ongoing learning opportunities, taking advantage of them, uh, focusing on what's best for kids, and uh, sharing that learning has been has been amazing for me. So for, whether you're a first year teacher, first year administrator, or you're going into your twenty fifth or thirtieth year, just constantly stay open to new opportunities and think and embrace that um, change is inevitable. And is it the appropriate change? That's what you have to decide and then try to make it fit into what your overall core values are. And then your ultimate, what is your personal mission? And what's funny is Renaissance has helped me um, articulate my personal mission, which is to positively change lives and impact futures. And uh, that comes from good friend Richard Parkhouse. Mm -hmm. He always says, you know, change lives and impact futures. And I just added a little twist and say positively change lives and impact futures. Because through our words and our actions, we can change lives and impact futures. I just wanted to make sure it's a positive interaction and through positive words and uh, positive behaviors. I love it, man. Great stuff, yeah. man. So you've been successful as a teacher, as a coach, as an administrator. You've published a book and you've won all these awards. Like, what, What's next on your list of goals? Honestly, man, I um, the last two, three years, I've really taken a step back and focusing more so on home. Um, last year, I think it was like late winter, I thought I was having a heart attack here at school. Um, my, my arms went numb. I was meeting with two science teachers and they were just like, if this happens again, we're calling the emergency squad. And I'm like, no, I'm fine, I'm good. And 10 seconds later, like this, this pain shot through my arm like I've never felt before. Um, so I laid down on the floor, you know, they make sure I was okay. They made me go to the nurse. They called the squad. Um, I spent the next eight hours in the ER with um, a battery of tests and tubes and all this other stuff. 
And um, it boiled down to it was just it was stress related. My body was responding to the stress. Um, so I had a stress test. So my heart was my heart was good. Um, all my vital signs were good. But that scared the heck out of me. And it definitely scared the heck out of my family. Um, cause my daughter at the time was three. And um, and what I and I knew this before, but it just kind of hit home. Schools will go on with or without the principal. Um, if I happen to um, pass away tomorrow, it's not going to stop the school because school is, a, is an organization that has to it has to move on. And that's no disrespect to the position or to me as a whole. It's just the reality of it's a school. It's an organization. It will go on. But it'll be devastating to my family if I'm not there. And so um, I spent a lot of time this year just taking a step back and re reprioritizing my reprioritizing my life. Like I don't blog as much as I did in the past. Um, I'm not tweeting as much as I have in the past because that's being done by others now because the story is being told by other people. Sure. Um, I'm not presenting as much as I had last year. Um, so I'm much more selective. Um, and if it interrupts the home schedule, then I'll just I'll pass on it. I'm not always happy about it because I enjoy the work. Um, but in the end, I want to be um, the best father and the best husband I possibly can be. And if I focus on those things and how and home is taken care of and professionally, um, things will be good. Because at the end of the day, I won't I don't want to be one that said I wish I'd have spent more time at home. I, you know, I want to be thankful and, and uh, appreciative of the time I've had at home, but also had the opportunity to connect with other educators in a way that I would have never had to do or been able to had I not started using social media. And I'm just writing the book came from reusing social media, which is crazy in and of itself. All the awards came from just telling the story of what was happening in our schools. Wasn't doing anything different. I was just telling the story about it. So if I can still do that, do those things, help other educators um, do the same things or even more like you. I mean, you're I mean, I remember when I first met you and you have just skyrocketed and like, <laughs> traveling. You're traveling the country now um, telling your story with, of you and your wife. And I see your pictures on Instagram and and she's just blossoming in her career. Sure. Your boy's growing up. <laughs> it flies right by, doesn't it? Yeah, man, and it's just—it's been a lot of fun to see other people's grow, other people's growth because of the connections and impact. So that's rewarding in and of itself. And if nothing else happens from here, man, I'm I'm still blessed and excited and um, appreciative of the opportunities. That's awesome, man. That's so powerful. Yes. And I think that you know you're a rock star administrator, and when you're in that role and you get it the way that you get it, there's so many people that depend on you and they're constantly coming to you for whatever it is that they need. And so, yeah, it's easy to make that your priority. And then, and like you said, you, you kind of miss out on the home front. And so you've really got to have that balance and you've got to be intentional about yeah. that balance. Otherwise it just, all of a sudden you, you look and like Brooks is seven years old and it's like, how did that yeah. even happen? You know, it just yeah. flies right by, man. Well, I, I talk to a lot of, um, administrators, teachers, educators who are, um, who've made the transition to like consulting work and things of that nature. And man, they're so, re it's so rewarding because they have an opportunity to do what they love, but they also have the opportunity to have a little bit more control of their schedule and be home at the critical times. And, uh, I mean, I try I desire that, you know, I had an opportunity for that, but I chose to, um, stay committed to what I'm doing now. And it's been a great decision. 
Um, I had to work through it because I felt like I, I had lost something. I, I was mourning that, but at the same time, I love what I do. I love the kids who I connect with. I have a phenomenal staff, and um, things are going extremely well at home. My wife and I are like on one accord. My daughter, you know, she she's she's daddy's girl. I have great administrative support, um, a new administrative team in the building. So we're, you know, we're starting to click on all cylinders. So things are things are all falling in place. Um, but this summer, I may pursue and start my my uh, superintendent's license, not to pursue a position, but just to open up, you know, get the additional license to see what other opportunities are there. So we'll we'll see. So yeah. what the future yeah. holds is like, I'll be the principal of New Albany High School tomorrow, and we'll see what each day brings. It's awesome stuff, man. You know, I I think the absolute world of you, man, and I appreciate your time and everything that you do for the world of education, buddy. Likewise, man. Thanks, man. Guys, you've been listening to the Green Room Podcast Series. Thank you so much for listening. Chase your dreams, kids.